Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Now, what are we doing today? We're here talking, uh, continuing our series called You Asked For It. And again, these are questions you ask. We said, hey, what would, you, what would you like us to, what questions would you like us to answer? And we asked that at Easter, and we chose the top five questions that you answered over and over. And, and so that's what we're doing. And, and this follows the model that Jesus used and other philosophers such as Plato. They would allow questions to be asked, and then they would teach on those things. And so... Uh, we're, we're in good hands and following after Jesus as we do this. So today's, today's question that we want to uh, answer is, how do I share my faith? I love that someone asked this question because a lot of the questions that are asked were, hey, help me with something. Help me be better at this, but it's for me, right? It's for my walk. It's for me. But, but this is a question that was asked, help me be better at this so I can help someone else. And I like that. So I'm jazzed about today's message, and you should be too. And if if you're new to a a journey of faith and the spiritual journey that God has us on, let let me just tell you why somebody would ask this question of how do I share my faith. And the the reason they ask is because it's actually a mandate. Like, Like this is something Jesus told us to do was to share our faith. He gave clear instructions in Mark 16. He said, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere. Well, you know what, where that includes? Every place. He said, go everywhere. Not, not just here in Reynoldsburg, not just in your neighborhood. He, he said, go everywhere. So that's everywhere you go that accomplishes that, all right? You understand that. Go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. What was the good news? That Jesus had come, who he was and what he has done. That's the good news. And because of this mandate on us, we're not a church that exists for church people. You all know that, right? Well, we, we don't exist so that other church people can come here. We're a church that's on mission to reach people. That, that's our job. That's what God sent us to do. So you're here for one of two reasons. You're here because you need to know who God is and you want to find him and, and understand who he is in your life and you want to get on that spiritual journey of following Jesus or you've signed up for the search committee. You're on the team. You're going to help us find people that are far from God. And the people that are far from God is what we call God's lost kids. Anybody here ever lost a kid before? Oh, come on. Don't, don't leave me hanging out to drive. I've lost. Okay, I saw a couple other quick hands. They were like, I don't want to admit that in church. Like, you know, somebody sit, people sit next to me. You know, church people, they're judgmental. They got a finger, you know. Anyway, so I've lost a kid before. And you know what happens when you lose a kid? You go into full tilt panic mode, don't you? It's just like nothing else matters. I mean, if I've got three kids, and, if, and when I lost my one, I didn't look around and go, well, at least I still got those two. Two out of three is not so bad, you know? <laughs> I, I didn't do that. It was full tilt like panic, like where is my child? I became, I, I became engrossed in the fact that my, that my child was lost. We get distracted by, by that which is lost, don't we? We lose our wallet. We don't celebrate the fact that we still have our car keys, we lose an important document, and we don't get all giddy because we got drawers full of documents we've been able to save, but, but, but well, we only lost one. We, we just don't do that, and God's the same. He's distracted by his kids because all of us are God's kids. Every single last one of us on this earth is a child of God, but some of us are lost. Some of us are far from God, 
And God is, is, you know, though he's looking on us today, though we've gathered today and we worship him, he, he's looking and he's thankful for our worship and he's like, good job, guys, you know, you're gathering together, you're loving each other, but he's not enamored by this. God's eyes are ever on the horizon looking for his lost kids. And, it's be, and, and his, there's, the Bible describes him as somebody that would leave the 99 found ones to go find the one that was lost. He values the one that was lost way more than the 99 that were found. And so because God loves the lost, we love the lost. In fact, what the Bible says about us is that in 2 Corinthians is that we are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, we're his representatives. You understand what that means? That you're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. We represent him. He's sending us to them. And the verse continues and says, God is making his appeal through us. Who's he making his appeal to? People that are lost? He's making his appeal to lost people through us. In other words, we are his plan for reaching people that are far from him. Do you understand that? That means there's no plan B. You're the plan, period. End of story. It is you. He is sending us. Now I realize the problem is that it's really hard to share your faith nowadays. Because when you talk to people, they're kind of resistant to it, you know, they have these presuppositions and ideas about who God is, maybe wrong ideas about who God is, and they're, they're just hostile and adamantly against Christianity or organized religion as they see it. They, they don't want anything to do with that, and that's why more than ever, we need to be able to answer the question, how do I share my faith? It's, it's important for you to know it. And in truth, I think churches have gone about it all wrong for too long. I think there's this pendulum that swings about how we reach people. There's some churches out here on this side, on the far extreme, that, that we would call like seeker-friendly kind of churches, and where the pastor and the people are trying to include everybody in an effort to include everybody. They've kind of watered down their lives. They, they look no different than the world. They live like the world. They talk like the world. They act like the world. They drink like the world. They, they, they look no different than the world. And they do this to include everybody. They'll even go so far as to change what the Bible says and say, well, let's just live whatever, however you want to. They call this grace, the grace movement. It's just, you're, you're just, it's okay. Grace, 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 grace. The problem with this is, is you don't have to compromise truth in order to make a difference. In fact, in order to make a different, you, difference, you need to be different. It's okay to have some truth in your life, but they hang out on this far extreme. Then there's this other extreme on the pendulum swing of, of churches that are so dogmatic in their approach. They, they come to people with truth and say, you're going to hell where the worm never dies. You're going to hell where there's gnashing of teeth. You're like, what is gnashing? I don't even know what you just said. What, what worm? <laughs> so they preach truth. They beat you over the head with it. They come across rude. They come across arrogant and, and, and totally unattractive to people because they, people even call them Bible thumpers because they just hit you on the head with the truth and they don't offer any grace. They just drive people far from church, drive people even farther from God. But what we need to do is not be on these extremes. We need to be right there in the center. We need to have grace. And we need to have truth because Jesus embodied these things. You know that? And people love to be around him. 
They loved to be around him, and it's not because he was like, hey, go ahead and live the way that you want to. No, no, no. He told them, leave your life of sin. It's just the way he went about it. So how do we how do we do this? How do we live a life of uncompromising truth and yet have people be attracted to it? Well, I, I think we, we need to do it like Jesus did. And how did Jesus do it? Well, Colossians says it this way. He says, we need to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those that are outside of the family. Those that are not sitting here with you right now. People that are far from God, that are outside of this place. Be wise in your interactions with them. And he says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Right? There's that grace. Let the way that you talk to them be full of grace. And then he says, and season with salt. Make it taste good. Why? So, so, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So that you can know how to answer everyone. You know, the, 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 uh, the goal here isn't to argue and to be right. You understand that. It's to be wise. You're, you're the ambassador of Jesus. You need to be full of grace, but you need to give them truth in a way that is palatable for them so that they'll want to hear it. So how do we do that? How do we, we, we be wise and add salt so people will find our faith attractive? Well, I think there's some simple ways to do that. We work really hard on it around here. We do as much as we can to make our services, our Sunday mornings, as attractive as possible because we want people to come and check it out. That's the goal. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, that first part of it, always be prepared. Man, don't you just hate that? It sounds like you're getting ready to take a test, right? I mean, I got to study. He says, always be prepared, be ready. And that's kind of hard, especially when people just tell you to go do something. Anybody ever told you to go do something that didn't tell you how to do it? And they certainly didn't spend any time telling you how to make it easy for you to do it, right? That's kind of hard. So we, 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 we need to, to do it, be prepared for everyone who asks you. I love this part of this verse. Do you understand that this verse implies that people are going to look at your life and see something that's attractive about it? They're going to see something that's different about you, and they're going to ask you, hey, what's different about your life? What is it about you that is different? They're, they're going to ask, and this is the opportunity. They're going to say, why, why do you go to church? Why are you so involved? How come you're in the grow groups? What, what, what is going on? Why, why do you do it? Well, you need to have an answer for that. So today I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to give you three simple things that you can do in order to, to share your faith and have an answer for that. And then I'll, I'll give you help. I'll equip you uh, so that you can overcome the biggest disconnect and problems that people have with God, all right? And so if we're going to reach the lost people like Jesus did, we have to do it like Jesus did. And so how, how did he do it? If you're taking notes today, the first thing Jesus did was Jesus connected with people. Jesus connected with people. He took time to connect with them before he spent any time correcting them. That's what we need to do. We need to connect before we correct. Somebody should be writing that down. I'm going to get that tattooed right on my wrist. Connect before I correct, right? We connect because Jesus was the great connector. He never compromised truth but sinners loved being with him. He said, hey, leave your life of sin. But he was always straightforward with them. But 
he was straightforward with them after he took time to connect them, after he showed he was interested in them. And why? Why did he do that? Well, it's simple. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Somebody ought to be taking notes. It's a tweet if I've ever heard one. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. They don't, want to, they don't care what you know about God until they know how much you care about them. They're not interested in that relationship. So, so you have that opportunity to show them how much you care. You know, the, the, today's message is not about winning an argument. If you, if you feel like you're going to be equipped to win an argument after you leave here today, I feel, I feel bad for you because you know you can win an argument and still lose. You, you can still lose. Not, that's not the goal. We want to learn how to be effective. So, so how do we be effective? We, we, we connect before we correct that's why when you look around this church, that's why we serve the way that we do. We go out and we're part of every major community event in this city. Why? Because we want them to know we love them. We want to serve them, add value to them and what they're doing so that we have an opportunity to share our faith so that we, we let our light shine before men. And so we go and serve. That's what this weekend is all about, this community cleanup. A hundred of us showing up. Man, that'd make an impact. Let people know, hey, we're here. We love you. And I'm going to tell you, this city's taking notice. When I was out knocking on doors during the, the primary election here the, a couple months ago or last month, knocking on doors saying, hi, my name's Aaron. You know, they didn't know who I was until I said, well, I'm the pastor of Simple Church. They said, oh, we know that church. We know y'all. You're some crazy people. Y'all are at everything that we do. Wearing your Simple Church shirts, you guys, are just, you guys have demonstrated your love over and over again for this city. It is clear. It's clear. It's different to them, and they like it. They, they, they like it. They've never seen anything like it. And when you love people, it opens the door for people to hear from you about your faith in Jesus. Check out this verse. Jesus defines his entire mission by this verse. He says in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This is why we exist as a church, right? To seek and save that which is lost. And if we want to be a church that, that does what Jesus did or looks like Jesus, then we need to, to do this. Well, well, how? How did Jesus seek and save the lost? Well, let's kind of back up the story a little bit in Luke 19, because if we go to verse 1, there's a story that precedes this statement that Jesus made. It's the story of Zacchaeus. For time and, and purposes of this message today, we're going to call him Zach, all right? <laughs> Now, I realize that I, 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 I did not provide them this, these verses, so y'all are just going to have to trust me that I'm reading from the Bible, okay? If you want to look it up, it's Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. But it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zach, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, what you need to know about Zach is he's a bad dude, okay? Zach is a bad guy. Nobody would have liked him. Nobody would have liked him because he was a tax collector. Now, you need to understand the time when you're reading your Bible. And the time period of this was that the Roman Empire was oppressing the Jewish people. And they were there collecting taxes from them. And what they did was they found other Jews that lived locally that knew who the wealthy people were. And they tapped them and said, hey, we'd like you to come work for us. And if you work for us, we'll give you a little bit on the side. Why don't you collect some, some taxes for us from your people? And so the Jewish people considered tax collectors to be traitors. They, they had sided with the enemy, basically. And so they, they had two categories for the really bad people in the world, sinners and tax collectors. And Zach was a tax collector. 
Nobody liked him. Verse continues in verse 3. It says, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. Do you note that he didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say? It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. And it's the same with you. People want to see who you are before they care about what you know, what you've got to say. They want to see who you are. They want to see how you live your life. This is what Zach wanted. It continues and says, but because he was short or vertically challenged. All right, we'll just take that word right out. <laughs> because he was vertically challenged, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Come on, any Sunday school people out there? All right, that was, this part of the message was just for you. All right. So he climbs up in this tree because he wants to see Jesus and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zach, you thief, you need to get saved. No, that's not what Jesus said. Some of you are like, Pastor, I don't remember the story being like that. No, that's not what he said. He said, Zach, come down immediately. He said, I got to stay at your house today. Basically, he said, hey, let's go get lunch. Let's, let's go get lunch. I'm interested in you. And so he, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, verse 6 says. You know, people will welcome you gladly when your first response to them is not, hey, you need to change your life and get saved. When your first response is, hey, let's go get lunch. Hey, let's go get coffee. Hey, come on, throw some cornhole with me. Let's go hang out. Let's have some fun together. People will gladly welcome you like Zach did Jesus when you say, let's go and get lunch. Now, there's people in this scene, and they're following Jesus around, and look what happens to them. Verse 7, it says, and all the people saw this and began to mutter. What are they doing? They're talking to themselves. Jesus has got them confused. Can you believe that son of God? He is walking around here. He is having lunch with sinners. That guy is friends with them. Can you believe him? They're sitting there judging Jesus, talking about him. You know, people are going to talk about you, too, when you befriend sinners. But what a reputation to have. Come on, somebody. Let's be a church that is known for being friends of sinners. You're in good company because Jesus was there. The verse continues on and says, this is what they said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now between verse 7 and verse 8, something happens. Because Jesus leaves with Zach and they go to have lunch. And he's hanging out at his house. And we're not privy to what happens, but we know that whatever happened at lunch, Zach stands up and says this, verse 8, he says, but Zach stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then he comes to his mission statement. For the, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Look, Jesus came to have lunch with people. You want to be like Jesus? Find somebody far from God and say, hey, let's go to Chipotle. Come on, somebody. Hey, let's go have lunch. After first service this morning, I was standing out there, and a gentleman comes up to me, and he says, you know, Pastor, he said, I've been coming to this church for a while. And he said, today is the first Sunday you didn't mention Chipotle. I said, I'll insert it right in for second service. We'll get that taken care of. Bless God. There you go. That was your dad, Charlie. It was funny. Anyway, sorry, side note. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just, just for him. Oh, but Jesus came to have lunch with people. He came to connect with them before he corrected them. Well, we're not sure what happened at lunch, 
but we know that it must have been impactful. It must have been intimate. It must have been something real because Zach's heart was changed. He repented of the life that he was living. And all we need to do is connect with people, love them, add value to them, serve them. When you do, it'll open doors to share our faith. And once you have that opportunity, once you've connected with somebody, you need to do the second thing. And that is to share your story with people. Just, just share your story with people. Always be on the lookout to share, to, to tell what it is God's done for you. You know, you don't need to go around telling people how they need to change. There's no verse in the Bible that tells you to do that, just in case you think that's your job, your assigned commission. It, it's not. Your commission is to be a witness for him, to tell him, tell people what he's done in your life. That, that, that's it. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 5, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when your light shines, it means you're living a life that is attractive. They'll want your God. That's just that simple. I remember about 16 years ago, I was working at Safe Light Auto Glass, and and, uh, I found out that Safe Light, it's just a call center, uh, it it had a bonus, like a referral. So if you brought somebody in and they got a job, you got a $200 referral. Well, I thought I would just ride high on the hog that summer and make a lot of money. And so the church I was going to was connected to a Bible college, and so they had a job fair, and I went to them, and I told them all about the jobs at Safe Flight. Well, we got a bunch of them to come and work there as a result. So there's a bunch of Bible college kids running around, and be real honest with you, the Bible college kids were kind of goofy. You know, they, were, they knew how to play church, but didn't know how to follow Jesus real well. Does that make sense? And so they talked a lot of church, and even at, on the job, you know, they, were, they, they, they called them goofy Bible college kids. And uh, and that turned a lot of people off to faith in Christ. They were like, I don't want nothing to do with God if they act like this. But I had one guy, his name was Jason. I started working closer with him. And, and despite all these goofy Bible college kids around, which he knew that I went to church with, he said, man, he said, those kids, man, they're, they're weird. He said, I don't want nothing to do with what they got. He said, but what you got? He said, that I want. He said, there's something different about you, and I want that. Now, come on, when people tell you that, when they, when they confess that to you, when they see something in you that is attractive, it is your opportunity to simply share your story. Well, what does that mean? Just, just tell them what God has done in your life. You know, Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and empower you to be my witness. Well, you're going to say, well, pastor, you understand the context of that verse. This is Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, you need to witness everything that I've done. Everything that I did, the miracles that I did, the fact that I was living, I died and I rose from the dead. And you need to tell people because you saw me. You saw me die, you saw me rise. And so Aaron, that's not me. I wasn't alive when Jesus was here. So I can't witness that. You're right. You can't. That's not what it means. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power to witness what? Well, what have you witnessed? He doesn't expect you to lie and say that he, you saw him rise from the dead. He wants you to tell the people what he's done in your life. What have you seen him do in your life and the life of others? That, that's all you're responsible for. If you consider the, the, a courtroom, in a courtroom there are four people. There's a judge, there's a prosecutor, there's a defender, and there's a witness. You're not called to be the judge, so don't judge people. You're not called to prosecute and point your fingers at people. Don't do that. You're not called to be a defender. You're called to get up there and tell people like you see it. Hey, this is how I saw it. This is what I saw. You're called to be a witness. We don't need to go around pointing our fingers. We just need to tell the difference Jesus has made. 
And the easiest way to share your story is to, to practice it. You know, that verse said, be prepared. So when somebody asks you, you can give them, give them an answer. Well, your answer is your story. And he said, how do you be prepared? Well, when I was going through seminary, they made us sit down and write out our testimony. And we wrote it out in a way that we could tell it in two minutes, flat, done. Because you know, if you go over two minutes nowadays, and if it's not accompanied with a video and a cool music soundtrack, people, they start falling asleep, you know. So you want to give them just two minutes. Some of you, that just hurt your heart a little bit that I said that. I apologize. But we need to get it down to two minutes, so here's my two-minute testimony. I grew up in church. I knew from the age of 16 that God had called me to be a minister of the gospel, and yet when I was 21, a church leader hurt my heart by, by offending me, and that offense that I carried robbed me of my value to God and his people, so I left all of it behind. I went on and began living just like the world. Two kids and a broken marriage that, that, that didn't last a year and a heavy addiction to pornography later I was bitter, I was angry, I was broken. I remarried a few years later and my mom said, said this of me and my marriage. She said, my wife, she said, I don't know how you stayed with him. He was such a jerk. And that's my mother. She loves me, but she's real. And then we, one Sunday, Easter Sunday, 2010, my wife and I were invited to a church by some friends of ours, and we went. But I went with skepticism and pain. And I walked in those doors, and the pastor was funny, and the church was welcoming, and so we went back. Over and over again, we went back, and slowly over time, the people that were there loved me back to a place of health, loved me to a place where I was willing to forgive and let go of that offense. And I fully surrendered my heart to God. Not perfect, but just following Jesus and saying yes as he led. And step by step, what happened? Well, my heart changed. My joy was restored. I, I was given peace. My marriage that was certainly headed for a divorce was changed and has forever been changed. It's better now today than it's ever been because of the difference that God has made in my life. In fact, when I decided to forgive, he broke that addiction to pornography in my life as well. I walk, stand here as a free man today. All because of the way God loved me through his people in that church. I'm a changed man because of it. So what's your story? That's mine. Can you tell it in a two-minute block? Be prepared. Be ready to give it because you've got one. You can share it in a way that doesn't turn people off when they hear it because when they hear it, they're going to want what you have. And so you need to connect with people and you need to share your story. And then the last thing you need to do is, is invite them to a place where they can experience God. Do you know we don't call these, these church services services at all? We call them worship experiences. Well, because God is not a service you attend. God is a person to be encountered. And we want you to encounter God, even if it's not here at this church, even if it's somewhere else and you feel like you would encounter the power and the presence of God there, go. I'm not threatened by that. I want you to. I want that for you. But I promise you that once you've had a face-to-face -face with God, an encounter with God, that you will never, ever again be a skeptic. I stand out here every Sunday and I greet people as service is over. And we're a growing church, so I got new people coming through here all the time. And you know, they stop by and they tell me, 
man, there's something different about this place. There's, I, I felt something in there. And I can't even, they can't even tell you what it is. Like, what was it? Somebody touched you or something? Like, you know, no, 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 it wasn't like that. It was just, I just felt something. I felt something different in there. It's kind of like the wind. And the Holy Spirit is like the wind. God's power and presence on this earth is like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can't grab hold of the wind. You can't see which direction it's coming from. But you can sure feel the effects of that wind, can't you? And this is God's power and his presence that people need to encounter. They need the opportunity to do that. Do you know that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he was a skeptic? <coughs> In fact, he spent all of his time before he met Jesus persecuting and killing Christians. And then he met Jesus. And what happened? Everything changed for him. After he met Jesus, his life's mission became about sharing Jesus. And this is what he said. This is the message paraphrase in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Right? Look, that's just not even necessary. You understand that. You don't have to be a great communicator or a perfect orator for people to connect with what you've got to say. He said, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. Hey, I like that. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. He said, I was unsure of how to go about this. That's most of us, and that's why you ask this question. We're unsure about how to tell people. He said, and I felt totally inadequate. Can anyone relate? He said, I was scared to death. If you want to know the truth of it, that's how I feel every time I go to share my faith with somebody, right? My heart starts beating, my palms get all sweaty, and I'm like, dear Lord, I'm about to do this, right? Get all nervous. He said, and so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But, and I like a but in the verse. I do. It means something about the change. It's a good thing. You see a but, hold on. Now, come on, y'all, just stay with me. B-U-T, all right? When you see a, oh, what kind of Bible you're reading? It's not the Bible. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it. Look, in other words, they heard it not because of anything he said. It's because of God was at work. His spirit and his power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power and not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Come on. Amen to that. Look, people don't respond to the best orators and communicators as much as I would like to think that it's about me. It's not. It's not. I could come up here and stink and be like the worst communicator you've ever heard. And yet, when God's power is at work, well, there's nothing stopping him. There's nothing stopping him. You don't, you don't need to worry about explaining God. Just invite people to a place where they can experience him. That, that's it. Just invite him. So let's take opportunities to connect with people. Let's take all the opportunities we can to share our stories with people. And then let's take the opportunities to invite them to a place where they can experience the power and presence of God. Because that's what will really change their lives. They'll never be the same, ever. Now, as you do this, as you share your faith in these ways, you're going to encounter people that are going to give you a little bit of resistance. And I said, I promised you I would e equip you for overcoming those obstacles if that happens. Because see, God, people see God different ways. There are four pictures of God generally, one of only one of them is right. 
But when people, you invite them to come to church, they'll be like, ah, no, I don't want to go to church. You know, I, just, I can't, I don't want to, I don't have anything to do with church or with God. And it's because they've got this improper picture of who God is and what it means to be part of a church. It's like inviting somebody to come and play basketball and your response is, well, no, thank you. I mean, I don't, the helmets are too heavy and I don't like being tackled, so that's okay. Do you, do you know that that's football, not basketball, right? Oh, yeah, I'll play basketball then. Basketball is fun. That's fine. I'm getting tackled. This is an improper picture. We do this all the time. We say no to good things because we have an improper picture to it. So people, when you invite them to come and experience the power and presence of God, they're, they're, they're going to have some kind of resistance. They're going to have a wrong picture of God. And if you have the opportunity, if you hear that picture, you take the opportunity to clarify it. To, to share, you know, oftentimes their resistance is not what God is about or what the Bible says at all. It, it's just not. So Jesus battled this kind of thing. When he was walking the earth, people thought he was all kinds of people. In fact, when he was walking with his disciples, he says to them, who do people say I am? And they reply, well, some of you say John the Baptist, which is really kind of weird because John was his cousin and was alive at the same time as him. And, and John baptized Jesus in the, in the Jordan, Right? And, and John has been beheaded at this point, like killed, and they think that Jesus is John the Baptist. What? what a misinformed picture of Jesus. How does that even happen? Other people, he said, other people say that you're Elijah. Well, Elijah was a prophet that was alive some 500 plus years before Jesus even walked the earth. But Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven. He never died. But they're like, well, but it's appointed to a man. Every, every man wants to die. And so since he didn't die, this guy's probably Elijah. Does that even make sense? How do you have this picture of who Jesus was? And so Jesus says to his followers, he said, well, who do you say I am? And, they, and Peter responded, he said, you're the Christ. Now, that's a proper picture because Christ means anointed one. He was appointed with a specific power to do a specific thing. He was, it was important to Jesus that he clarified the pictures. And so it's important that we understand how people see God. And there's a, there's a couple ways, wrong ways they see God. The first way is we see God as a locked gate. We see God as a locked gate. You know what happens when you come up to a locked gate? You can't get through. You can't get in. You can't get to whatever it is you want to get to. And some of them are really tall and opaque. I mean, you can't see through. You can't see what you want to see. And people believe this myth that God can't be reached. They see him through a locked gate. Like God is so far away from him. They just can't get there. But the truth is, is that God isn't far away at all. The truth is that he is near. He's so near, in fact, that I can introduce you to him later. The Bible describes one of his, his uh, features as being omnipresent. It's this big word that means that God is everywhere. It describes him as a God that in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. That means I'm moving, I'm swimming in him right now. I don't know if this is awkward for anybody else, but I'm swimming in God right now. Right? I'm breathing in God. I take him in. He's inside of me. There's nowhere I can go that God is not. Where can I go? He's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. Acts 17 says, he doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. And God is here. If you want to meet him, I'll give you an opportunity to at the end of this message today. Others of us see God through a pile of luggage. We look at God through all the baggage that we've acquired over the years. 
all the things we've done wrong, the people that we've hurt, the mistakes that we've made, the harmful things that we've said and or done to ourselves or others. We, we, we carry that baggage and we, we kind of look and say, well, God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself and so God doesn't want me. I, I got too much stuff that I'm carrying. That, that's the myth, but the truth is, is that God desperately loves you. That, that's the truth. You don't need to offload some of your baggage in order to come to him. In fact, we have a sign that says, come as you are out there, and we mean it. You don't have to change who you are. You don't need to quit cussing. You don't need to quit smoking or drinking to come in here and be a part of God's family. You, you just don't. That, that's not the truth, that you've done too much. He loves you just as you are. My friend John Racy, I hope he's watching this morning. He tells it this way. When he invites people to faith, he says to them, now look, he said, you can come to Jesus now. There's nothing keeping you. He loves you how they are. And they said, well, no, I want to clean up my life. I want to change who I am a little bit before I come to Jesus. He said, that don't make no sense. He said, do you, he said, if you've been outside working in the garden and you got yourself all muddy, before you go get in the shower, do you stop at the sink and clean yourself off? And they said, well, no, that's kind of silly. I just get in the shower. He said, Jesus is the shower. Just jump in. You'll be fine. Just jump in. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to change who you are. Just jump in. Romans 5.8 says it this way. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Jesus laid down his life for us. Why? To, to show us his great love. He didn't stop in the middle of the first hammer swing before they were going to nail him and say, now, wait, 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 before you pound this in because it's about to hurt. Is anybody going to get saved if I do this? I mean, is anybody going to repent if they go ahead and nail me here and I die? Jesus didn't ask. He did it even while we were still sinners. While they were spitting on him, while they were laughing at him and mocking him, after they had just beaten him, tortured him, he said, I'll die for them. He'll die for us. When we were lost in our sins, why? Because he wants to show us his great love for us. Not because he's concerned with our baggage. He's concerned with our hearts. He wants all of you, and you can come just as you are. The last improper picture we have of God is this endless ladder. It's this endless ladder. We see God through the lens of works. We think that in order to come to him, there's a bunch of stuff we've got to do. You say, all right, I know what you all want from me. You want me to go to church every Sunday. You want me to give. You want me to serve on a team. You want me to go to Grow Grow. I got all this stuff I got to do. But, but that's not what God's all about at all. In, in, in fact, if you believe that God requires a lot from you, that couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth. Do you know what he requires from you? It's simply this. In John 6, they said to Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe. <clears throat> Did you hear me? See, to come to God, you don't have to do nothing. There, there's not a list of things you need to accomplish. There's no quest you need to go on and complete. You just need to believe. That's it. That's the work you have to do is trust him, place your faith in, your hope in. Believe. That's how we received the gift of God. See, works don't save you. 
You say, well, well, Aaron, I know that there's a verse that says that faith without works is dead. Yeah, that's works for you to do after you've said yes to Jesus. Because once you begin following him, you'll find out that God has made you and equipped you to do a specific thing and to make a specific impact in this world. And that's the work he's made you to do. And you can go do that. That's your works. But you don't do that to get saved. It's not like you have to do it for God to like you. God likes you now. You don't have to do anything. I, look, I don't do laundry around my house so my wife will like me. I do it because it needs to be done, right? We don't serve this city because we want God to like us. We do it because there's a need, and we recognize that that need dwells on the inside of us. What they need is here, and we can give it to them. But you're not saved by your good works. That's silly. That's silly. The proper picture of God, and I'm, I'm closing, is a free gift. That we see that what God has for us is a free gift. Anybody ever received a gift when it wasn't your birthday and it wasn't Christmas? Didn't that make you feel good when somebody did that? Like, man, they thought of me. They went and bought a present when they didn't have to. They wrapped it, took time out to come over and spend some time with me, and they gave me a gift? That feels awesome. When it's a time that you don't deserve it and you didn't earn it, it feels amazing. And God says, look, I just want to give you a gift. I just want to give you a gift that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. By the way, you can't buy it. There's nothing you could do to get it. I want to go ahead and just give it to you. And the gift is, is salvation. This is the true picture of God. It's, it's free. He loves you. He wants you to know him in the same way that he knows you. That's what he desires for you. And so he offers salvation, in other words, a way to be in relationship with him through a free gift. That gift was paid for with Jesus' life. So you say, how, how do I share my faith? Well, it, it's simple. Take time to connect with people. Don't worry about correcting them. Go to lunch. Find out who they are. Be interested in who they are. Love them. Serve them. Add value to them. And then when they look at your life and they say, man, what is different? Share your story. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. What was your life like before him? What's your life like now? And as you share that story, invite them to a place where they can experience the power and presence of God. Invite them to come to church with you. And if they've got some resistance, listen. Listen to why. Maybe you'll hear the improper pictures that they have. And you have to say, that's not what God's about. God wants to give you a free gift. He wants to show you how much he loves you. That's all. He didn't want to beat you over the head wants you to know him. This is how we share our faith, folks. It's super simple. It'll require boldness. It'll require you to be prepared to share your story. You can do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for this question that was asked. It demonstrates so much maturity in our hearts to realize that this is not about us. That you who are distracted by your lost kids, is, we make that our priority too. And I love this question. 
I thank you for the opportunity to speak on it today. Lord, I pray, God, because this is, this, uh, though, though the steps are simple, they, they may be hard at certain points. And I, I pray, God, that you would help us to love people. I know that's hard sometimes. I know it's hard because we've got busy schedules and we've got so many things to do and places we need to be. And that, that's hard. But Lord, I pray that you would expand the borders of our hearts so that we can love people today. Help us to love them more so that we make time in our schedules. We make time in our thoughts and our priorities for them so that we can love them, serve them, add value to them, invest in them. And then Lord, as they, as they get a taste for what, what the life is that we live, live. Lord, I pray that, that we would share our stories well. That in our preparation, Lord, you would lead us and guide us. And as we share it humbly, Lord, just that we would just share what's different, what you've done in our lives. And finally, God, I know that that leads to an invitation to experience the power in your presence to come to church. May we be bold in this invitation, not afraid of rejection, not afraid of what they'll say, but, but ready and willing to invite and then to hear why. Maybe why they wouldn't come, Lord, and, and, and give us the right words to help them see clearly what it is that you, you want for them. God, I know that this is our commission. This is what you want us to do. And I, I pray that the fear that we have harbored and made our friend and our excuse why we haven't done this, I pray that we would let it go to receive the blessing that comes with trusting you. Help us, Lord. As we continue to pray here today, I know I told you about this free gift that God has for you, that he loves you so much, he just wants you to know him, and he does. It's a free gift for you. It will cost you nothing, but you need to understand that that free gift doesn't come to you just because you attend a Sunday morning service or because you go to a grow group or finish growth track or serve it on a team. No, it doesn't come from all that. The free gift of salvation, the gift of love that God desires to give you comes from a relationship with him through his son Jesus. See, the Bible says that each and every single one of us was born with this thing called a sin nature that separates us from God. And because of our sins, we needed to be forgiven. And nothing you and I can do would be enough to forgive us. And so God sent his son Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and he laid down his life and died so that you and I didn't have to. He, raised from, he rose from the dead three days later to prove that he was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. And now he's waiting to meet you in heaven. But the Spirit of God is here right now drawing you in and asking, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you one of those people that you're ready to say, hey, God, I feel far from you today, but I want to do something about that. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer that will lead you to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. It means he's in charge. It means when he leads you to a place, you say, yes, Lord, I'll go. If you're ready to do that, to have your sins forgiven, to have a full and fulfilled life here on this earth and eternity to await you in heaven, if you're ready for that, join me in this prayer. If you're going to join me, by the way, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you stand up or say anything. 
But we're gonna pray in a moment, and if you wanna be included in on that prayer, would you just kinda slip your hand up now and say, Aaron, that's me, I wanna, I wanna be included on that prayer. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you back there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Say, Aaron, that's me. Yeah, thank you. Good job. Good job. Church, can we pray together? So nobody's praying alone. Pray out loud. Jesus, thank you for your love. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I give you my life. Would you give me yours? Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. 